Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. That's why they have so many repeat customers. All right. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. If the Eagles do take Calamon tonight, my understanding is that Luke Catrillo is going to become a Cowboys fan. All right. so <laughs> No, that will never happen. I think it's important to let children think for themselves. <laughs> Not when it comes to this. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I can see Daddy hasn't talked to Luke in 12 years <laughs> about anything. Uh, Lisa, sainthood. All right. <laughs> Our play-by-play call of the day, we heard earlier about the Phillies, Bryce Harper, D.D. Gregorius uh, being hit by pitches. Well, last night, Matt Carpenter went deep, and Roman Quinn did what Roman Quinn can do. And a high fly ball to right field. Roman Quinn is going back toward the fence. He jumps, and he can't get it. It's into the bullpen, and a three-run home run. He threw him a hook near the glove, and he just couldn't hang on. Breaking by, you know, I think just watching Matt Carpenter swing. I mean, he had it in his glove the whole way until he hit the fence. Look wow. at this. I mean, that is in his glove. And then squirts on out. Wow. That's a tough way to lose a home run. Ugh. I mean, that's a tough way, you know, as a, an outfielder to lose and take away a home run. All of a sudden, you lost the ball. Ugh. It wouldn't have happened to Aaron Hicks. Mm, probably not, no. What's your record again? <laughs> I, um, just, just checking. Just want to make sure we get that right. Okay. So, let's turn now to Bill Bender's sporting news. It's been way too long. I'm so glad to have him back. Bill, great to have you with us. Uh, I didn't take you guys' call because Mom needed to find a street here in Pickerington, <laughs> Ohio. And when she can't find something, it's always her son's fault. So, um, you know, I, we got that done. And happy to talk to you, Steve. It's been way too long. Way too long. And by the way, when it comes to that subject, we've all been there. <laughs> okay. Well, always got you have to help out Mom. All right. I want to get to – now, at the end, I want to talk about Major League. I hope you don't mind. Because I, oh, the, the column yeah. you wrote about the Major League thing was just phenomenal. Phenomenal. All right. Uh, we're both big fans of it. 
Uh, but I want to get to what you uh, you say the eight safest picks in the draft. Now, obviously, uh, I'm sorry. Hello. Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The eight safest picks in the draft. Okay, Trevor Lawrence is going to go first overall, and let's let's face it, he's been the number one guy in high school, the number one guy in college, and now the number one guy when it comes to the NFL draft. I think he defines, for the most part, barring injury, safe as safe gets, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you do a safe pick, quarterbacks are tough. So the reason I put him there, Steve, was if you don't draft Trevor Lawrence number one tonight, you, you you could feel that. I mean, for Urban Meyer, that could be a career ender, being a first-year yeah. coach in the NFL. Like, if he were to pull something and take a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence is who I think he's going to be, right. that would probably mean for a very short NFL coaching career for Urban Meyer. Penny Sewell from Oregon is the next guy on your list. What makes him a really safe pick? One sack in two years of action. Talk yeah. to him this week. You know, as you guys know, uh, or maybe don't know, I mean, I'm based in Ohio. Uh, Bengals fans really want him. Some of them do, yeah. and I think they should because it would be a good long-term protector for Joe Burrow. Um, tackles are safe to me in general if they're that good because, you know, he doesn't have to be a 10-time all-pro, but if he can slide around a little bit, he can protect the quarterback. Well, the guy he impressed, as you wrote, was Anthony Munoz. The number of times that Jack Ham has talked to me about Anthony Munoz, <laughs> all right, that is, to me, that's a clincher on high praise. Well, and here's the thing about Anthony Munoz, and you're, you're old enough like me to appreciate him. And the one thing I always heard, and I wonder if Jack tells you this, and this is one of the things I hear about him all the time, is that his technique did not change from maybe his freshman year at USC to his final season in the NFL. He was legitimately, I think, the best offensive lineman of all time. And when you're drawing that kind of comparison, it makes it hard not to like what you see in Penne. And I, I talked to him this week, and he's a very grounded individual that I think could have a lot of good good times in the NFL. Now, we're not done with offensive tackles here because Elijah Vera Tucker from USC – uh, is uh, number 13 overall on Sporting News Big Board. Um, what is the like about him? Well, again, another guy that has kind of shot up as the uh, process has gone on. Didn't see a ton of him last year, but, you know, safe to me as a guy that's athletic enough, doesn't give up a lot of sacks, and uh, could play guard at the next level. And you're starting to see that. I mean, obviously, and he played in a scheme that should translate well in the NFL when you were protecting Keaton Slovis last year, and now he goes to protecting whoever it will be, probably a top 15 pick. Right. Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. Northwestern may end up with two first-round guys uh, with Newsom, the defensive back, and Slater. Now, Slater did not play last season, and I know there's some people that have been concerned that when he was asked to play in the Senior Bowl because he had played, he opted out of that as well. But when you look at Slater, who, by the way, is one notch higher on the on the SM big board, what is uh, what what is it about him you like? You know, I, I think with Slater, it's a deal where uh, you go back to the Chase Young game when he was at Northwestern, and he did a pretty good job on him. Yeah, when Chase Young was dominating the Big Ten, and uh, obviously Northwestern, the, the stereotype's always a good one. They're smart guys, and uh, <laughs> you have a smart guy you can move around. Like you said, the, some of these guys on here that I put as safe are opt outs, so that's going to make. Uh, that's 
I don't think it's as big a deal. And, you know, whether it's Slater, Parsons, Jamar Chase, several others, I mean, that will be looked at very closely considering what they did last season. And then to no fault their own, obviously, with COVID, that happens. Well, that doesn't happen. That's why. Right. Well, in 2019, they didn't allow a sack. He allowed just one hit in 11 starts. And as for the opt-outs, this is my opinion, and let's see if you have a different opinion. I think the, the guys that, quote, opted out COVID reasons or whatever the reason happens to be, they are not affected in this draft as far as I'm concerned. I think it's how they play this upcoming season will then affect the impression of what an opt-out is or isn't in future drafts. I think you know the, this group won't be affected, but they'll give you an impression as to whether it's even a consideration down the road. For sure. And, and I think I wrote about this earlier this week. You know, going in, aside from Trevor Lawrence, going into this draft this time of last year, Tanae Sewell and Micah Parsons were, in my opinion, the best offensive non-quarterback and the best defensive player on the board. And, you know, obviously Penn State fans are familiar with Parsons. He's this game-changing linebacker, uh, side-to-side linebacker. Fits the new NFL very well. And that's why I'm a little surprised and where I'm seeing him in mocks because I, I see a linebacker that can really change the look of your defense with his ability to both disrupt the run and cover the pass. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you brought up Jamar Chase. Uh, obviously, he opted out as well. What makes – now, in a draft that has Devontae Smith, has Jalen Waddle because they were able to shine. They played. But Chase didn't. So remind everybody what they've missed out on. I mean, he did everything Devontae Smith did the year before. Um, Caught 20, I think, 20 touchdowns, averaged 22 yards a catch. Was Joe Burrow's favorite target at LSU. Kind of the prototype number one receiver body, too. And that's a little bit of the difference with him and Waddle and Smith. I mean, everybody's talking about Devontae Smith's weight. Everybody's talking about Jalen Waddle being more of a slot receiver in the NFL. I think that's a bit overblown considering what we saw with Justin Jefferson. But Jamar Chase is a supremely talented receiver, and that's the one out of all those opt-outs I think I'm watching him the closest because receiver, there is a learning curve in the NFL that's a little bit more difficult than those other positions. Gregory Rousseau, Miami. Uh, he is another player who opted out. But, boy, he has put up some big stats. He did have to overcome an injury. And I, you pointed out he has done a lot of offseason work with Calais Campbell. Les Campbell's pretty good, too. Yeah. And I think uh, yeah. <laughs> Russo, Russo kind of profiles like him to me. Maybe even more disruptive off the edge, could get a lot of sacks, had that monster year. And had he not opted out, Steve, that, they were kind of looking at him as this year's Chase Young, a guy that could you know, challenge with 15, 17 sacks. And, and I think he'll add that to an NFL team. And I, the where he'll fall in the draft, and, and it's going to be a gift for somebody – He's probably going to fall to a playoff contender, and they'll use him right away. All right. Patrick Sertan would probably be the number one corner in this draft. I don't think probably. I think everybody acknowledges that. Okay, but you're drafting further down in this. You know, you're not going to get Patrick Sertan. If you get J.C. Horn of South Carolina, what do you get there? You did okay. I mean, he did well on all these SEC receivers. I think the stat that I read off Pro Football Focus was that Devontae Smith had 60 yards on him and that was the most a receiver got on him all year that's pretty good yeah. when you're talking about a corner and he's long he's athletic but there is a maybe somewhat of an over-reliance on press coverage with corners now but um 
he can play. And I think, you know, he'll fall again to a playoff contender. And his stock has really gone up, whereas Caleb Farley, the uh, Virginia Tech corner that opted out, he's kind of slipped a little bit. So I'm interested to see which one of those two corners will follow Sertain as the second cornerback drafted. All right, so now let's get to a guy that a lot of people in Pittsburgh think that they may get with the Steelers because they do have an opening at running back. Najee Harris of Alabama. It's not like Nick Saban hasn't done a good job of developing running backs uh, for the NFL, he and his staff. What does a team get in Najee Harris? A lot of athleticism. You know, he was known in college for these hurdles. He made some incredibly athletic plays at Alabama, but he also scored a ton of touchdowns. And I think the thing I like about him most isn't even the prolific rushing titles, the touchdowns, the those kind of things. It's the uh, ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. He's exactly what Pittsburgh needs. Um, you know, that kind of running back that can change the game a little bit and wear on some somebody with his physicality. And uh, like you said, I mean, early Saban's running backs, the early part of this dynasty, guys like Trent Richardson and I would argue Mark Ingram and Yeldon, they, they weren't as good as the guys that they have now. Right. Uh, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, and now – Najee Harris they figured something out there and it's one of those I kind of it's kind of like a the assembly line knowledge or analogy gets used a lot and you got to trust that assembly line in my opinion yeah and it's quite an assembly line there's no question why all the questions on Justin Fields I you know I I, if I was drafting and this is probably why I'm not a GM I think he's the second best quarterback on the board see I'm completely I'm completely with you on that Maybe it's Big Ten bias. Maybe it's watching what he did. But, I mean, I think the, he is the story tonight, in my opinion. You know, where does he fall? Who takes a chance on him? What does that become? And, and I think, you know, all the criticisms, the work ethic, the one-read stuff, he is managing epilepsy. That is something that you obviously have to monitor. That's a very serious condition. But um, in terms of just what you and I watched on the field the last year in the Big Ten, it was flawless football. Mm-hmm. Um great decision maker offers plays with his legs here's the thing that i, I pulled out today though and i don't know if you saw the article or not you'd win some money if you walked into a bar and you said you know the high state quarterback with the most starts in the super bowl era is mike tomzak yeah I and know. he wasn't even drafted that is incredible right. to me yeah i know and that that you know you think over the years some some of the guys like joe germain and a couple of guys like that along the way but they have not been a cradle of pro quarterbacks. Just haven't. And I think there's something to that. And that's why he is a lightning rod in this draft, in my opinion, because it trickles down to the Big Ten. So if Justin Fields is great in the NFL, and you already see what we, you and I know what Ohio State brings in recruiting every year, mm-hmm. it's only going to strengthen that quarterback room because they're going to be guy. I think he's a standard setter in some ways. And Dwayne Haskins, I was high on him too. And he obviously flopped a little bit and has a long way to go to revive his career. But it is something to keep in mind. I mean, the Big Ten quarterback is one of those – we all talk about Brady and Breeze, but Brady and Breeze weren't first-round guys. No. And, you know, before Haskins, you had to go all the way back to Kerry, yeah. Kerry Collins, for a first-round pick. Right. And that, that, to me, is stunning in some ways. Yeah, and I think that tells a story unto itself because what Breeze was a second-round pick. He may have been the first pick of the second round. We all know Brady was a sixth-round pick. Um, all right, I've got to ask you about earlier in the month you wrote a column about Major League, the movie Major League. It's been 32 years. You love the movie. I love the movie because it's just fun. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, in the reaction you received to it, what's the reaction that surprised you from people about how they reacted to the column? Because, I mean, you go through 30 different items here on Major League, all of right. which are accurate and fun. It, it's the most quotable sports movie of all time, in my opinion. I mean, I've, you know, for those of us that have been in this business, I watch a baseball game and you're at one and you say, you know, just a bit outside or something like that. Or, you know, like uh, quoting Charlie Sheen and, and J- Tom Berenger and, and the actors. And it's, it's literally the perfect movie. And it probably helps that I grew up in Ohio. And, yeah. you know, I remember watching it with my dad. And I, I always tell people that. And I was probably a little young to be watching it with my dad at the time. But <laughs> I've never heard, I never heard my late father laugh harder at a movie than he did at that one. And it still sticks out in my mind at how, especially the spring training scene, right? Yeah. When they all come in for spring training. I don't think I've ever heard my dad laugh that hard in his life. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Willie Mays Hayes is what, sleeping in the parking lot? And <laughs> then all of a sudden yeah, sprints exactly. out there to go, get that guy a uniform. <laughs> it's exa- and everybody has done Lou Brown. Everybody's done their best Harry Doyle. Um it is. It's my favorite baseball movie, and there's a lot of good baseball movies out there. There's a lot of good football movies, but to me, it was just the easiest, most quotable, fun movie of the '80s. I'm a big Field of Dreams guy too. I like yeah, Field yeah. of Dreams, and I like Bull Durham. But there's just something about that cast. It was the perfect movie at the right time. James Gammon as as Lou Brown is a guy on the other line about some white walls. Exactly. This <laughs> is Charlie Donovan. We like him to manage the Indians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But well, I, I always tell people my favorite character is Jake Taylor, and I kind of—that's what I get mocked at the well, most. But I kind of like that. But he's, he's the kind of cent- like he's the central yeah. part of the movie. He's what it, you know, he, you know. Okay, we talk, just talked about White Walls. What's the axle of the movie? Him. Yeah, he is, and he and I've always like kind of joke. I was like, yeah, he, he probably played at a Big Ten school, so uh, you know, just <laughs> that uh, workmanlike leader and all those kind of things, and. uh it is. It's a fun movie. We enjoy it. My, you know, and it's like I said, it's just one that will always resonate with me. Major League Two wasn't very good. There was moments in it, but it wasn't very good. Yeah, there are moments in it, and don't watch Major League Three. Right. Exactly. Right. Which, which, by the way, I think was filmed in Harrisburg. So it's. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think that was filmed in Harrisburg, and uh, Pete Bukovic is in the movie, and he's from Johnstown. So yeah, you know, nice. you see, there's some Pennsylvania roots in here. There's some Pennsylvania roots. Well, just remember when they hand you a list, these are the people we're inviting to spring training. <laughs> this, <laughs> exactly. guy, this guy passed away. We'll <laughs> cross him off cross the, him off the list. Yeah. She's excellent in that movie as well. She's uh, 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 Rachel Phelps, uh, you know, obviously another great character in that movie. And, yeah, it, it's just that was a good one. And, it, you know, it resonates with people because they watched, they, they still watch it, they still quote it. I think as far as baseball movies go, it, it's – like I said, the perfect one. Don't let any anybody give you any you-know-what about Jake Taylor. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Because guess what? It, it revolves around him. They don't have him. The other one-liners don't work. All right. <laughs> Always a pleasure. It's been far too long, Bill. Look forward to catching up soon because we can't go this long with, uh, without talking. Hey, no problem, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. What 
it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory. Fabulous pre-owned inventory that goes through a 164-point inspection. That's why it has the Sunbury Motors guarantee. From sales to service, they take care of it all. It's Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Well, it was a co- I think it was a couple weeks ago, right? Um, I'm over at the Penn State golf courses. And to my surprise, and what a, it was just great to have him there, Jerry Dulac. Boy, it was great to see you. <laughs> yeah, Steve, um, it was uh, it was a treat to see you. Um, it was nice to know that I was uh, about a mile and a half from you when uh, when we connected. And I go, hold on, I'll be right over. And I wanted to come <laughs> over and say hello. And and I hope through the uh, magic or somewhat. Uh, mysteries of mail delivery you got a little package from me to help promote my show there in my favorite place state college pa the longest running radio golf show in the country prime prime time prime time, prime time. golf radio show yeah. right exactly yeah. absolutely longest running prime time and yes i did receive very generous and I want you to know I haven't lost any of them yet. <laughs> well, just lose them where lose them where people can find them. Then they could see, they could see the logo on the ball. It's exactly. A, it's good marketing campaign. I'm trying to get. It's, I have it national, and to some degree, I have it global. So I'm hoping I'm hoping to stretch oh. it all across the world. Well, it's fabulous. All right, especially for somebody like me who loves the game as much as I do. It's great, and thank you for doing that. And it was fun seeing you. So the Absolutely. Steelers draft. Yeah, the Steelers draft tonight. Uh, they drafted 24. There's a lot of thought that it's Najee Harris. What is your thought? Yeah, uh, that uh, it, it's not only my thought, it's their target, and that's the guy that they're after. Um, they are hoping he'll be there. You know, Miami, you're hearing some noise that they might want a running back and to, you know, repair him, uh, put him back with Tua. Uh, and and then there's the Jets who are going to draft a quarterback early, and then they have another pick. And you know, might they draft an offensive lineman to protect their rookie quarterback? Yeah, or might they give him another offensive weapon to help their rookie quarterback? You know, so those are the probably the two teams 
uh, that you're looking at as to who might be interested in Najee Harris. Uh, but there no, there's no question if he's there, um, they are going to take him. In, the, in this century, they've, I think, traded up three times. Uh, you know, Devin Correct. Bush, obviously, a couple of years ago. I, th- I think they also did it with Troy Palomalo and San Antonio Holmes. That's uh, the trade up. All right. Uh, any possibility they trade up because they're worried their guy might not be there? You know, Steve, uh, Kevin Colbert kind of shot that out of the air the other day when we, at, gosh, we actually had a live press conference with Colbert and Tom. The first time that's happened in well over a year. Uh, but Kevin Colbert said, uh, I mean, just highly unlikely. They have no interest in trading up because they only have eight draft choices. And, uh, you know, they'd have to give up some of those, and they do have some holes to fill. So he said they, they really value the eight they have. Maybe they'll get another, but I don't, they're not in the market to do that now. I could see them trading down because if, if, if Najee Harris is gone, and maybe even if Travis Etienne is gone or isn't gone, I could see them moving back three or four spots because two of the teams behind them are the Browns and the Ravens, and they have no interest in a running back. Right. So I could see them doing that to possibly move up in the second round or get a late second-round pick. At worst, get a third-round pick. Maybe get an earlier third-round pick. So now you have have four picks within the first three rounds. I I could see that happening and them still being able to move back, get get the guy they wanted. But I don't think there's any question um, that their focus is on a running back. Those are the two they have rated the highest. Um, now, you know as well as I, Steve, anything can happen in a draft. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say this is what they're going to do with certainty, as I said a minute ago. But, you know, unless something really strange happens, their target is Najee Harris. And I think, you know, after that, more than likely you'll see them, if Harris isn't there, uh, um, take uh, Travis Etienne now. I say that with this little caveat. I was told this today, and I've now been told it by three different people. If Justin Fields slips, as is being suggested by a lot of people, that his stock is slipping, which I don't buy for a second, but if it would, and he would slip to 24, which I don't think that would happen at all either, and Najee Harris is gone, they will draft Justin Fields at number 24. But I just don't see him dropping um, like that. I think that with people who, who kind of, whether they're being told that quietly or on the sly, I think that's a smokescreen. Uh, I think Justin Fields will go among the top ten picks. Plus, if a guy who was once projected as two, three, or four slips all the way to 24, then you have to ask yourself, what's wrong with him? Why is he slipping? I just, I just don't see that happening. But my point is the Steelers really, really, really like him. And they probably would take him if they had the luxury over every other quarterback in the draft. And that's what I was told. Now, I have a hard time believing that, but that's what I was told. Me too, because I still think he's the second-best quarterback in the draft. I, I agree. I, I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I'm not sold on Mac Wilson. I, I, excuse me, um, uh, Mac Jones. I think Zach Wilson is, is uh, you know, can be a decent quarterback. Um and and we'll see, um, you know where the uh, where the um, uh, the big kid from uh, uh, North Dakota State goes. So, um, but the problem I have with Justin Fields, and, and maybe you can help corroborate this, I saw him play two outstanding games against Penn State and against Clemson. Other mm-hmm. than that, I saw too many average games from him. But against Penn State, 
spectacular, and against Clemson, spectacular. But I see more average games than spectacular games out of him. Yeah, when they when he got into the Big Ten championship game, he didn't have Chris Olave. Right, but what right. shouldn't be discounted is Northwestern has a really good defense. Right, I mean, really, right. really good. His accuracy, for the most part, is good. The two games that bother me watching Fields were the Northwestern game, which I just talked about, and the Indiana game. I thought the Indiana game that he'd he'd roll through and play really well, and he didn't. So, yeah, I see right, where you're coming right. from. But there's no question about his arm strength. There's nope. no question about his athleticism. And they really like the guy. And But if you, for some reason, would see him drop to 24 and Najee Harris is off the board, um, do not uh, do not be at all. I'm telling you right now, that's who they're going to take. At, right, least, here's a, at least, that's what I've been told. Right. I understand. Uh, Jerry, uh, also with Pouncey out of there now, the Steelers at some point are in market for a center. And you write on postgazette.com about Landon Dickerson. Now, outstanding prospect, but as you correctly point out, he has a history of injuries and didn't play in the championship game because of one. Yeah, and, and he is a first-round talent for sure. He's the best center in the draft. But, um, you know, I've been told he's a potential one-contract guy, which means if you get four or five years out of him, you are lucky, and because of his history, two ACLs, and I believe there was another knee injury in there as well. Um, that is a that is a extremely high risk for a number for a first round draft pick. So it is more than likely that he will slip to the second round, possibly the third, if people have huge concerns about that about that injury. But I don't think there's any question. Health aside, if he were healthy, he is the best center in the draft. But he will I don't think he's going to get drafted as such. Here's the line of the article, and it's on postgazette.com. Quarterback, question mark, with their draft history? Uh, no. Why have they missed evaluation-wise, in your opinion, on corner? Yeah, it, it's hard to say. Um, you know, um, they reached for Artie Burns. That was just a poor draft choice. They got unlucky with Senquez Golson in the second round. You know, he yeah. never played a game because of injuries. Um, you know, they went up going back a number of years. They traded up to get Ricardo Coakley from a small school on the second round, and he was just couldn't play at that level. And they've never gone back to a small school again in the first two rounds after making that mistake with Ricardo Coakley. But you go through the whole list of guys. Um, you know, there was some potentially good guys. Cortez Allen was given a second contract by the Steelers. Other than Cam Sutton this year, he was the only cornerback under Mike in Mike Tomlin's tenure to get a second contract from the Steelers. Um, the, the guys just don't pan out. And, and you don't, Steve, I can't sit here and tell you whether it's poor evaluation up front, poor development after that by coaches or, or whatnot. Um, it's, it's hard to say. But their draft history is not very good. And, um, you know, there's a couple corners in the draft. Believe me, if they drop to 24, they would get in the conversation. But they're not going to. Right. And, and, you know, and that's J.C. Horn and, and Patrick Sertain. Um, but to me, I don't see a cornerback going really till day three. Uh, the way I look at it, and, and best I can tell, and kind of uh, through my intel, I think you'll see it be running back, center, edge rusher in the third round because they need a backup, and and then tight end tackle in uh, in the fourth round. 
or with yeah. their fourth pick, you know, maybe they maybe they get an extra third somewhere. Who knows? Right. You know, I'm, I think some people will be glad to hear that you mentioned along the line tackles one of those spots, and that's something I find interesting. You know, obviously the high end tackles, you and I both know. You know, like guys like Slater and you know Sewell right, can play. Yeah, they'll all be gone. Uh, but really, you know, in this league. You can be in the Hall of Really Good, and that's great. Because Tom Brady's never operated behind a Hall of Fame offensive lineman. But he's operated behind really good ones. You can get those, can't you, Jerry, in rounds four, five, and six? You You can find really good in those rounds, can't you? Yeah, I think you can get serviceable guys. You know, and the thing is that, you know, the Steelers have two guys who they believe will be their starting tackles. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you, uh, to say these guys are pro bowlers. But, you know, Chooksakorfor played very well last year when he stepped mm-hmm. in at right tackle. And the guy who beat him out in training camp, which I didn't quite agree with, but nonetheless he beat him out, was Zach Banner. And he list- lasted all of three uh, quarters in the opener, and then he tore his ACL, and he was done mm-hmm. for the year. So when you look at it, what they have, they have two, in their mind, two starting tackles. And they signed Joe Haig, uh, you know, free agent from uh, New Orleans, excuse me, from New England who they look at as a swing tackle, a run-blocking, somewhat athletic type of tackle. He'll be their swing tackle. Does that mean they don't want another tackle? No, but I think the urgency to to get a tackle uh, beyond a good one being there on the board, um, I don't think it's as great, though it isn't as great, as finding a center because they don't have a starting center. Um, but I, I think... Um, you know, when you start getting down to, to beyond the third round, sure, you can find them, but the chances are, even though it's a deep draft, um, it might get it, it, it gets a little bit more difficult. But I think uh, I think uh, you will see them no later than the fourth round, possibly take, mm-hmm. taking a tackle. And as I mentioned too, a tight end would not surprise me at any point, to be perfectly honest, beyond the first round. And I will tell you, uh, Steve, that the uh, Steelers really like. Uh, Pat Fryer move, as do I, but more importantly, they do. Their only concern is that shoulder injury, which I've been told did not, uh, after surgery, did not heal as well as um, anybody would have liked. So uh, that's a, I don't want to call it a red flag, but it's a concern. But I will tell you, the Steelers uh, are very high on Pat Fryer move, and I can see why. Guy can catch and block, and he's your prototypical, uh, you know, two way tight end. Never had a drop in the red zone in his career in three years. Yeah, yeah. I I talked to Pat last week, and I asked him about uh, He said, look, I feel great. So we'll see what, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I have to ask you one golf question, because with the draft, you had to move the golf show to last night, right? Right, right. And right. I think you had Bob Ford, uh, Mike Perkey uh, was on with you. And Tom, Tom Doak. And Tom Doak, who's the course yeah. architect, yeah. Right. So... You asked about the sappiness of golf TV coverage. Mm-hmm. How did that conversation play out? Because I am fascinated by this topic. Well, it, it began because Mike Perkey, and I wanted to get to this topic last week, but I was already booked with what I was doing. Right. Um, and and um, Mike Perkey wrote an article on the Morning Read website, which is one of the better uh, golf uh, websites for uh, for articles and, and, and stories and, and, and insight. And he wrote about how the tour has taken control of the pictures you see, which I did not know. They've taken control of the video. And, and his point was 
they've apparently taken control of the content that you hear. And, uh, you know, he talked about, you know, you just hear very little criticism anymore. Even Paul Azinger, who was always had a bit of a sharp tongue when it came to the players and, and being critical, mm-hmm. rarely saying a critical word anymore. And he was talking about how uh, all the coverage, you know, Ian Baker Finch, you know, who was, who was a great guy, has mm-hmm. always been uh, a little too sugary for me. Every shot is fantastic. Every shot, boy, that was really good. And they're average shots by the best players in the world. Um, and, and so that was kind of the thrust of his article. And, and you know, you get somebody like Dottie Pepper, who's feisty, and I like Dottie a great deal. She's been on the show with me a couple times. And I think she's really, really good. But mm-hmm. you can tell, even Frank Nobolo, who I really like, and is not yeah. afraid to say anything, you can see that he, you can almost tell he bites his tongue a couple times when he really wants to jump in on something. And his other point was to Brandel Chambly, who was one of my favorites. I have yes. never seen anybody in golf research like Brandel Chambly. And, and the beauty of what he does is he uses his research, which is accurate and well-founded, to form his opinions. So yes. that makes his opinions pretty much spot on. You know, Steve, I have always contended that if you – uh, you know, if you have an opinion based on a flawed premise or an, or an inaccuracy, then your, your opinion is flawed and inaccurate. But Brandel Chambly is the best at it, and he and Nabilo used to go at it pretty good on the set. But you don't see, you just don't see as much from Brandel Chambly. And, and the overriding point of Mike Perky's article was this, this is not a coincidence, and it's no accident that the tour... Uh, according to his article, the tour has kind of, quote, muzzled these guys. They want everything to be, everything's great, and look at this, and this is terrific, and that shot was great. And, and so you don't get the, the look, nobody wants to hear somebody just get on there and rip everybody, but that's not right. the point. You just, you get, you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of sugar and flowers and bouquet instead of really any, and to any golf fan, too, who knows what they're looking at. Get very little critique or criticism, if you will. Well, I know in my broadcasting class when I get to talk shows, I tell everybody, research, research, research. I said, and draw your opinions from your research. I said, now, we can have different opinions. We can have different opinions from the same facts. But when you're going from a basis of fact, then you have a strong opportunity to have the best opinion. Uh, And when it comes to the golf thing, you and I both know that great shots win. But you and I both know that mistakes also cause somebody else to win. Sure, sure. And, and, and I think the yeah. um, I, I think the failure to um, point that up a lot. I mean, look, the days of Johnny Miller are are, are done, of course, and you just right. don't see that anymore. And and in, and in the golf broadcast. So if the, and if the PGA Tour is controlling what you look what you look at. They're also controlling what they don't want you to see, which I can't sit here and tell you what it is they don't want you to see, but obviously there are things that they probably don't want to show. So if they're doing that and, you know, having the word out that you have to, um, um, you know, let's, let's cut out on the criticism, um, you know, then, then I, to me, you have a bit of a journalistic problem. And, and like I said, I think the true golf fan knows what they're looking at. And to sugarcoat what you're looking at, it only harms the guy's reputation. And, and, I, and that's why, um, you know, I, I think that 
you know, the, the, that, I think that's where the, where the damage is done. I'll give you a small, small example of how they control it. You know, if you hit the ball in the water now, Steve, in a fronting pond or a lake or whatever the case may be, you don't hit the ball in the water anymore. You've hit it into the penalty area. That's what you have to say. So, But the penalty area can be shrubs. It can be trees. It can right. be cliffs. It can be ravines. It could be a lot of things. So if you hit it in the water in the pond, say you hit it in the pond. Everybody sees where you hit it, but no, you can't say that now. You have to say, oh, he hit it in the penalty area. No, he didn't. He hit it in the lake. Yeah, it, it's and wet. I, and that's a okay. small example of what they are yeah. told to say. And and it, it's to me, it drives me crazy, but that's all part of it. I agree with you because I, you, know, you try to be real. Well, this is why I wanted to ask a couple of questions because – that's why it is the longest-running primetime radio golf show. That's <laughs> awesome. I try not to sugarcoat it on the show, that's for sure. That is awesome. You don't with us ever either. Jerry, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the insight, especially on draft day. Steve, always good chatting with you, as you know, my friend, and hopefully the next time I'm up in the neighborhood, which actually will be in a couple of weeks, maybe I'll see you again. Sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jerry. All right, man. Jerry Dulac. Fabulous. We'll wrap it up in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Fabulous. Uh, enjoyed it today to have Merrill Reese, Jerry Dulac, and Bill Bender on the show. Dick Girardi is on the show coming up tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Bill Hillgrove on Monday and at uh, 2.45 in the morning, the after show with the suit. No? If we even have time. Well, no, I think, you know, people have asked, like, when do we think is the best time from our perspective to air it? I picked 2.45 a.m. <laughs> Feel that, like, those are his people. You know? <laughs>